this is New York. You might not think it from the sounds around me. I'm currently sat in the middle of Central Park and here there's no way that you could imagine that this city is home to so many people and so many languages. Some estimates say that there are 800 languages recorded and documented in New York, clearly making it one of the world's most multilingual cities, especially when you consider that the world's most multilingual country has around 800 languages too. Papua New Guinea, by the way. With so many sounds and languages, where do you begin? As I was walking through Central Park this morning and I stumbled across this place and it was just so quiet and so different to everything that we'd heard, that we'd seen so far of New York... I figured this was a good place to start, with no language. Welcome to Language Stories, a podcast discovering languages around the world and meeting the people who speak them. I'm Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages, a language-obsessed chica on the constant exploration of languages no matter where I am in the world. And this episode, welcome to New York City, USA. So we've made it all the way to almost the end of the number seven line to, towards Flushing in Queens. And we're here at the Hong Kong Dragon Boat Festival. As you can hear, it's pretty loud, lots going on. There's lots of stalls here for banks and stuff. And we were like, what is this? And then as we walked down, we realized all the boats were sponsored by banks. And it all made sense. Um, there's lots of food going on, but it's really interesting because it's not just Chinese. There's lots of Spanish being spoken. We've seen uh, some signs in Korean, obviously some English stuff as, too, as well. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. This is the perfect example of just how multicultural New York is and how many languages there are going on on an everyday basis. Queens is the most linguistically dense of the five boroughs. That's Daniel Udell, co-founder and director of Wikitongues, a non-profit organisation dedicated to language documentation based here in New York City. Before arriving in New York, I'd spoken to Daniel and Freddie, the other co-founder, who you'll hear from later on, many times online, as I've volunteered on the Wikitongues blog team for a couple of years now. So, when I knew we were coming to New York, these were two friends that I knew we had to meet in person. We met one evening, my birthday in fact, for tacos at their apartment and sat down to talk about Wikitongues and what it's like living in New York as a language learner. Daniel shared a story about a language encounter that happened to him recently in the city. I had a really amazing moment uh, very recently. I was in uh, uh, the Far Rockaway uh, neighborhood of uh, eastern, is it eastern? Yeah, eastern Queens. Uh, And I saw a sign in Polish because there was a deli there uh, owned by um, a Polish family, and I actually understood some of it. And so I got very excited for that. But Daniel wasn't the only person we already knew in New York. We also met with Benny Lewis, who you might just know as the Irish polyglot from Fluent in Three Months. As quite a recent New York resident and someone who spent years living in various places around the world, I wanted to know what drew him to New York. It's a bustling city. It's got everything you could possibly want. Um, There's always something to do. It's multicultural. It's open-minded. I feel like I've got the entire world right here. I want to continue practicing my languages. I want to try to inspire people to learn languages. And uh, America is a special place for that because I feel like I have my work cut out for me to, you know, encourage such an English-speaking country to do that. 
I was also curious if Benny had any memorable language stories to tell about his time here so far in the city. I was invited to speak at an Irish culture centre in Brooklyn. And I, when I arrived there, I didn't know which part of the building I was uh, going to be speaking in. So I walked down the stairs, around the corner. And when I opened the door and walked in on a few people, I was about to speak and they turned to me and spoke to me in Irish. <laughs> so I was incredibly confused. I thought I had gone through a portal to the Gale Tucked in the northwest of Ireland or something because I did not expect to hear Irish spoken to me in New York. But of course, they knew that I was coming. They knew that I spoke the language. So that opportunity was more likely. And uh, it was crazy because I, I was not expecting to uh, speak. I knew it was an Irish culture center, but they actually also gave Irish language lessons there. So I have been surprised at the amount of languages that I've been able to use in the city. It's interesting that Benny found an unexpected room full of Irish speakers in New York. After European settlement, British rule and the initial founding of America, the Irish were among the first immigrants to move to the city. And with almost two million arriving between 1820 and 1860, naturally, they settled here, creating communities. And they're by no means the only ones to have called New York home over the years. New York is a city built on immigration. And when people move to a city from many diverse places, they not only bring with them many diverse foods, traditions and cultures, but also many diverse languages. Immigration has had an undeniable effect on the landscape of New York City, or peoplescape. Let's create a new word. This is a podcast about language after all. I asked Ross Perlin from the Endangered Language Alliance what he thinks draws so many people to this cluster of island boroughs on the east coast of the USA. Primarily, it's, it's about livelihood, I think. Um, you know, it's about New York as an engine of, 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 of money and jobs and opportunity. Since 1965, this kind of key immigration act in the US that kind of did open the doors to, uh, you know, the, the, the wider world um, in a way that, you know, um, other places have as well, but but in New York, the archetypal New Yorker is an immigrant. New York has a deep immigrant history going sort of all the way, all the way back, and uh, so 1965 that that the, that's the kind of the latest iteration, the most global iteration uh, of it, and it's now you know threatened, I think, and under attack in some ways. But before that, in the late 19th, early 20th century, there were also huge waves of immigration, especially from Southern and Eastern Europe. So New York has been, is, 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 a, is a hospitable, is a hospitable place, uh, a deeply hospitable place, uh, I think, for, for immigration and movement and change. But it's hard to tell a story of immigration to the United States of America in 2017 without mentioning the elephant in the room. Yep, five minutes into a brand new podcast series, and we're talking Trump. Eek! On the weekend we arrived in New York, protests in Charlottesville led to the death of young lawyer Heather Heyer. It didn't take long to stumble across an anti-Trump protest outside Trump Tower a few days later, as the president was due to arrive at Trump Tower in New York for the first time since his inauguration. As we've seen so far in this episode, New York is a tolerant city, built on immigration and certainly not representative of the sentiment of an entire nation. And as it's the only place we were able to visit in the US on our trip, it's unfortunate that I can't share a broader perspective here. However, it's clear that the country stands at a crossroads, 
and whichever direction things go in, particularly regarding immigration and issues that affect speakers of other languages, the linguistic landscape of New York City and the country as a whole could change. But this is something that happens always. Language is forever changing. As new words, slang, even pidgin and creole languages emerge from time to time, so do languages fade and even die. Language death. Sounds kind of dramatic, right? I feel like it's something in the sound of that word, death. It's the F bit that's the kicker for me. But language is evocative and holds culture and feelings for speakers. Language has the power to change people's emotions, to make people smile, cry or empathise with someone else. So when a language dies, do these things die too? When a language is at risk of dying, it's often described as endangered. So it's interesting to note that New York is not only home to the Endangered Language Alliance, but also Wikitongues. I asked Freddie, I told you we'd chat to him later, why New York is such a good place for an organisation like this. One of the obvious first reasons is that the United Nations is here. It's an extraordinarily diverse place. It's a very dense city uh, and all of these things come together to mean we would be hard-pressed to not walk down the street and, you know, be in the presence of 16 different nationalities and mm-hmm. within the, you know, 10-yard stretch. I, I think on one hand that really informed the spirit and the soul of the, what we're trying to do from the very beginning. Dan uh, and I, our university was, extra, was very uh, global. It was very open to looking out. Uh, an understanding that there is a global context, that there is a greater cultural fabric, uh, and uh, it also reinforced the existence of that here mm-hmm. in New York. And so I think were we somewhere else, it would have been harder for, for Dan to walk down the street and be able to record 40 different videos in as many languages um, as he did for his thesis project. But what about if you're not running a language non-profit organisation or a language website? Is the diversity of languages as noticeable then? We had the chance to sit down with Nadette Stasser, a long-time resident of New York, originally from Boston, to hear her thoughts. And, I, and now I'm a, you know, now I, I definitely feel like I'm a New Yorker, uh, having been here most of my adult life. And I definitely think a part of the draw is... Uh, just the cosmopolitan aspect of it, the, the incredible amount of diversity, uh, you know, different nationalities, different languages. So there's so much in New York. I mean, I, for me, it really is the center of the world. I really, I've always felt that. And it's funny, I mean, <laughs> you know, I think of it as the center of the world, but I don't think I've actually thought about it in terms of languages. Uh, I thought, like, as we were meeting down here in, you know, in downtown Manhattan, in the, you know, in the southern tip of Manhattan, um, historically, there's also so much, like, you know, we're right by um, uh, a statue of Verrazano, right? Great Italian that came here. Uh, and then, of course, this land was founded uh, by Dutch and uh, Walloons. So it's like, you know, right here. And then, you know, there's you know, Native American. And then you think about, oh... I was really glad when Nadette mentioned Native Americans. As I said earlier, this was our only stop in the USA on this trip. And one of the reasons I was pretty gutted about that is that we wouldn't get to explore a little deeper into the wide range of Native American languages spoken across this vast country. I asked Ross from the Endangered Language Alliance to share a little more about Native American languages. How many Native American languages are currently spoken across the country? And then how many of those do you estimate would be spoken in NYC? 
The estimates I've heard, and it's very hard to know, is that there were you know, probably over 300, probably well over 300 languages um, you know, in kind of native North America, spoken in, in, in North America, uh, say 500 years ago, around the time of kind of first European settlement here. I think in the census, I think you still technically see something like half of them, you know, in the 140, 150 range, I believe that is somewhere around there that, that there's a, a, a speaker, there's registered as being a speaker. In reality, I think that's, you know, it's, it's many fewer that really are actually being spoken on a daily basis. And many, many of those, maybe, you know, maybe dozens of those actually have one or two speakers. Languages in the Northeast, um, you know, probably you know, one, one of the success cases, uh, as it's considered in, in New York State anyway, is, 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 is Mohawk. It's a little far from New York. But Mohawk does have a history, actually, in New York City. And there are speakers who have, uh, there, there was a kind of a neighborhood, a Mohawk neighborhood in Brooklyn, uh, famously, uh, the Mohawk Steelworkers built a lot of the skyscrapers in New York, or were very involved in that. Um, and there are certainly, you know, speakers who have ties to New York City still, and you know, come from Canada or upstate New York down. Uh, in terms of Native American languages in New York, you know, indigenous languages of Latin America, actually, other indigenous American languages are probably more prominent at this point, thanks to the large Mexican and Guatemalan immigration. So languages like Nahuatl and uh, Mixteco and um, uh, Quiche, a Mayan language. But you, you know, you see, uh, there are some, you know, there are things going on. The original, I should say, the original Native American language of, of the New York area of this whole area, which is usually called Lenape, uh, is um, you know, there's a lot of people working to revitalize it. Most of them are not in New York City because of the the history of um, uh, forced removal that brought people to Canada and Oklahoma and elsewhere. But there are revival efforts, especially uh, you know in Canada and Oklahoma and, and other places. Um, and there's, there's at least one speaker who is still kind of um, was raised with the language and is still still around. Wow, that is a lot of languages. Now seems like a good time to mention that the US doesn't actually have an official language. Nope, not even English. But that's also pretty interesting what Ross said about many of those languages not being used on a daily basis and some even having one or a handful of speakers remaining. We're back into that endangered language turf again. But if this stuff happens naturally all the time, do endangered languages matter? I asked Daniel from Wikitongues what he thinks. I would frame the question differently. Yeah. I would ask, why does every language matter? Um, and that's because every language is the vehicle of expression uh, for a given community of people. The danger sometimes uh, with emphasizing endangered languages is that it can be alienating um, to communities that speak these languages because it implies a certain inherent status of being endangered. Uh, it talks about a community as if it's uh, um, something to be preserved in a zoo. In Catalan, they, people tend not to say llengua minoritaria, minority language, they say llengua minoritizada, minoritized language, uh, because the premise is that being a minority language is a is a political condition. It's something that has been kind of like, it's a burden that, that, that comes ex arrives externally. The other problem is that uh, when we talk just about endangered languages, we forget languages that are not necessarily endangered, but sorely underrepresented in the public sphere, I and mean, maybe that lack documentation. Um, there is a sign language from Bali uh, called Katakolok, not endangered. Uh, most people don't know 
that it's a language. So if you are a speaker of this language, uh, it means like the, 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 the way that you dream, the way that you express yourself is completely unknown to most people outside your community. And that's a really terrible thing. And so thinking about language diversity uh, at scale, I think, can be really productive. And, and so why does that matter? Well, one, uh, cultures are enshrined um, and encoded in language. Everything that we know of in English from Shakespeare to Beyonce exists because English exists, right? Without English, there's none of that. And that is true for every culture, uh, whether it's music, literature, oral histories, and, and kind of other traditions. There's also scientific value. For instance, the Bronx Botanical uh, Gardens here in New York is working with communities in southern Vanuatu to uh, get a head start on classifying the biodiversity of southern Vanuatu because in local languages, different species of plants and animals already have names. There's also, we can learn about prehistory, uh, like there's linguistic evidence of the Bering Strait migration, because certain languages in Siberia have relationships with languages in Alaska, so you, the land bridge is kind of proven through the study of grammar. Language is important. When you, when you, when you look at language at full scale, everyone kind of gets a seat at the table. Um, there is not one community that can be erased if you talk about every language, because um, it is really like the most granular way to look at culture. Um, and so the broad strokes that we tend to think in nationality, uh, ethnicity, religion, um, that all kind of humanity emerges into sharper relief when we think about every language in the world. Everyone gets a seat at the table. I love that. By the way, that gurgling you hear is the dishwasher. Remember I said we had tacos? Yum! But I know you, dear listener, dear hungry listener, now I keep talking about tacos. You're thinking, yes, but what about learning languages? Let's go back to Benny to learn more about the city's benefits for language learners. So as well as people actually speaking various languages, you would say there's a high kind of community almost of people that are actually actively learning multiple languages as well. Absolutely, because if anything, New York is the kind of city that you are definitely going to hear a lot of languages, whether it's from people who live in New York or from the tourists who are walking around New York. And that's going to inspire you to learn languages. And I feel like a lot of other places, especially a lot of other places in the US, you you would start to think the whole world just speaks English. You know, you live in this bubble. And in New York, that's not possible. You are going to get exposed to other cultures and other people. And that's the kind of thing that's going to push you a little further. So there's a lot more people who are passionate about languages or even interested, even if they haven't begun their journey yet. And they're just about ready if someone kind of pushes them over the edge to get into languages. I asked Nadette a similar question. Has living here inspired you to learn new languages or even refresh previously studied languages? Absolutely. So when I first came to NYU, um, obviously I was drawn towards French and Italian because of spending a year in France as a high school student. But I also realised at that point that, you know, I grew up speaking Czech but I didn't really learn to read or write it. So I was coming to New York very inspired to read and write Czech, which I never quite got under my belt. Then, of course, you live in such a Spanish-speaking world. I studied Spanish for a short period of time as well. I was like, I really needed to learn Spanish. And then, as I was mentioning before, I, um, I just have a real affinity towards Brazilian, so I definitely, I mean, like, Portuguese is probably on the top of my list, and Arabic. I wasn't surprised by Nadette and Benny's answers. 
Even as I walked through the streets of Chinatown, Koreatown, Little Italy, I felt a strong desire to get myself to the nearest bookshop and go deep with these languages. New York is an inspiring place for many reasons and for people from all walks of life. I mean, why do you think there's so many songs about New York and TV shows and films set here? This place is the stuff dreams are made of. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? I mean, that's what Jay-Z told me. But I couldn't help but wonder, yes, that's a cheeky little Carrie Bradshaw reference snuck in at the end there, how would everyone we spoke to describe New York City in one word in any language? Cosmopolitano. Cool, thank you. If I had to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to pick just one, yeah. And if, if not, then hustle. My mom shared this with me. It's a German term, and it means the dot on the eye. But I forget how it's, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like the icing on the cake is yeah. the expression, but it's like the, the Buntelaufen E or something in German. That's sort of how I, I kind of think about New York. It's like the creme, creme de la creme or something, you know? <laughs> I'm drawn to, uh, you know, microcosm or microcosmos, which is, you know, a Greek, a, a Greek word which has a long kind of interesting history in kind of uh, where it's the idea of a miniature universe. Uh, I mean, cosmos is a universe, but it's also it's actually like an order. And there is a sort of order, actually, to, to, to New York's madness, too. But the idea of like a miniature universe or a miniature uh, order, you know, in like a, you know, in a drop of water, basically, in a tiny little space to actually have a, uh, the recreation of a, whole, of a whole universe. And I think, yeah, New York has sort of moved to that, uh, interestingly. Apasionada. Okay. Cool. I see what you did there. You went into Catalan? Yeah. Fair enough. Passionate. <laughs> I'd say alive. Alive. There's no denying that New York is alive with life and language. Long may it stay that way. Coming up next time on Language Stories, a mini episode. We visit Chinatown in Havana, Cuba. You've been listening to Language Stories, a podcast by Lindsay Does Languages. If you like what we do and you like video, then head over to our YouTube channel where you can watch the sister video to this podcast episode. Just search Lindsay Does Languages on YouTube and on our channel, you'll see the playlist for Language Stories. Once you've done that, the best things you can do to help us spread the word about Language Stories are to tell a friend you know who will love this too and leave a review on your favourite podcast directory. That's a fancy way of saying where you're listening to this right now. Reviews help us to get found by new listeners, which is pretty important when you're a tiny new fish in a big podcast pond. And finally, if you have a language story you'd love to share, or you know someone that does, get in touch. You can email me at lindsay, that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at doeslanguages.com. That's lindsay at doeslanguages.com. I always love to hear from you. Your feedback helps to shape future episodes, and that's important, because without shape, they're just lumps. As always, you can follow me in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz, and learn more at lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Until next time, keep learning languages and keep sharing stories. Ciao!